Alaska, the great land, is an awe-inspiring reminder of God's creative power and majesty. One example of Alaska's splendor is the fascinating wildlife that lives there. So how do these animals testify to creation? In Genesis 1, there's a phrase that is repeated ten times, and that phrase is, after his kind. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. The natural beauty that is Alaska awaits the wide-eyed visitor and continuously thrills the long-time resident. Many people who go to Alaska hope to get a glimpse of the fantastic wildlife that thrives in the last frontier. But the animals which inhabit the forests, soar through the air, or roam the open tundra do more than just delight excited tourists. These creatures can show us the mighty hand of our great creator. Join us for the next 15 minutes for the second half of our two-part special on Alaska, the Great Land. On this program, we'll learn about some of the interesting wildlife that lives in the far north. Even though the animals we'll be discussing today aren't exclusive to the area, they're all well associated with Alaska. And although there are many, many fascinating creatures in Alaska, time will only allow us to focus on a few. ICR Museum curator Cindy Carlson holds degrees in biology and zoology. She says the great land truly is an impressive place. Everything seems very big in Alaska. You know, big mountains, big trees, big glaciers. Alaska has 17 of the 20 highest mountains in North America, including the tallest, which is Mount McKinley at 20,000 300 feet. So you might expect that Alaska would also have large animals. The moose and the bear are two of these large animals. The moose is a very popular Alaskan mammal with a somewhat surprising family tree. The moose is the largest member of the deer species. They grow antlers every year, have split hooves, and chew their cud like other deer, but they also have unique characteristics. And one is that they are big. The adult moose stands six foot tall at the shoulder. Bulls can weigh up to 1,600 pounds. Now, the females are smaller, around 900 pounds. The males have antlers, but they're not the branching kind that you see in other deer. They're flat, like the palm of your hand, and then they have spikes at the end. And these antlers can grow to be five feet across and weigh 40 pounds. So what does this peculiar deer eat? Moose prefer to eat twigs and leaves from willow, aspen, and birch trees. In fact, the name moose comes from an Algonquian Indian word that means twig eater, and it sounds a little bit like moose. However, in the summer, the lakes and rivers are full of vegetation, and moose will spend a lot of time eating in the water. And moose delicacies such as pond lilies and pondweed grow in that water. Moose will submerge their whole head underwater when they're eating their, those delicacies. And sometimes they'll even dive down to deep places to get that food. That's very unusual for a deer. Besides the moose, another large mammal that's popular in Alaska is the bear. And, just as a famous children's story tells of three bears, in Alaska, three types of bear is exactly what you'll find. Cindy Carlson explains. Bears are another large animal that live in the expanses of Alaska. And you will find three different species.
species of bear, the polar bear, the brown bear, and the black bear. The polar bear and the brown bears are the largest terrestrial carnivores in the world, with males reaching up to 1,500 pounds. Let's get to know a little bit about each of these three bears. We'll start with the polar bear who lives in the northern regions of Alaska. We all associate polar bears with ice, and that's, well, we should. Special traits that help them live on sea ice include a water-repellent white coat with dense underfur for warmth and large furry paws. Their white coat makes them practically invisible on the ice and snow. They live on the ice and hunt seals, which is their primary prey, but they will also eat walrus, beluga whale, and any carrion they can find. The next bear we'll learn about has been tagged with various names depending upon where he's found in Alaska. The brown bear is identified by its size and characteristic shoulder hump. You will hear brown bears called by different names. Usually, the brown bear that lives on the coast and eats salmon is called just a brown bear. But the inland brown bear that looks exactly the same is called a grizzly. There's also a subspecies of brown bear that inhabits the Kodiak Archipelago of Alaska, and that's called a Kodiak bear. But all these three bears are brown bears. Lastly, we'll hear about the littlest bear that lives in the Great Land. Black bears are much smaller than the other two bears of Alaska. An adult male reaches about 200 pounds and stands two and a half feet at the shoulder. However, before winter, when they put on heavy layers of fat, they can be slightly larger than that. They can also climb trees, which the other two bears cannot do. Black bears and brown bears prey on deer, including moose, salmon, carrion, and also love honey, berries, and other vegetation such as plant roots and plant sprouts and even fungus. But just how do these animals testify to creation and not evolution? Well, Cindy Carlson says the fact that these bears can hybridize or interbreed is evidence that they all shared the same gene pool at one time. These three bears are very similar in genetic makeup. Sometimes hybrids are produced between them. Now, hybrid is when one species will mate with another species and have offspring. Recently, a polar bear was killed in the wild with brown hairs mixed in with the white ones, with the longer claws of the brown bear and the hump of the brown bear or grizzly. The DNA testing on this bear found it to be a polar bear-brown bear cross. There have also been black bear-brown bear hybrids in zoos. Hybrids are a very interesting study from a creationist point of view. In Genesis 1, there's a phrase that is repeated ten times, and that phrase is, after his kind. It indicates that God created plants and animals with the capability to reproduce its own kind. We don't see any hybridizing between cats and dogs. We don't see any hybridizing between bears and dogs. We don't, we don't see hybridizing between things that we would not call bears or cats or dogs. Our next Alaskan animal, though much smaller than the moose and the bear, is a picture of diligence and productivity. Retired ICR biologist Dr. Ken Cumming tells us that beavers 
which are known to be industrious, are also known for their substantial appetites. Beavers are the largest of the rodents. They have uh, a weight that probably gets up to about 50 pounds. They are very voracious in their desire for food, and that's really the basis of what we see in their whole behavior, is that they have to supply this tremendous source of energy from the trees and saplings that are in their vicinity. But the hardworking beaver can actually promote a healthy environment. Beavers are very clever, they're very inventive, and as such, they can develop a stream in such a way as to build a dam with a spillway, and the spillway then allows the water to bleed off without being destructive to the dam. And in in doing so, they can build a pond in which they can then uh, secondarily build a lodge, a place to live and to rear their young. Well, that's not the end of the story because after the beaver has had maybe 10 years in a location with its successful rearing of several years of offspring, the saplings and the trees that are important to their nutrition, they are then cut down by the beavers. And so this makes a meadow. But in the meantime, what's happened is in building the pond, the sediments that come off the countryside, moving downstream, then settled in the pond and formed really rich soil in the base of these pocket meadows. So the beavers, both in the east and in the west, were probably responsible for a lot of the agricultural richness in those locations because it allowed the land to get sediments and nutrients which otherwise would have gone downstream and out to the ocean. The last animal we'll look at today is a majestic creature of flight and a symbol of strength and freedom. Dr. Tom Hoyle is Director of Bible and Science Ministries in Tacoma, Washington. He says the creative design of the bald eagle is truly amazing. The bald eagle can fly 55 miles per hour at an altitude of 10,000 feet for hours on end. Based upon its instincts, it's an expert at being able to catch the thermals and be able to glide hour after hour after hour. It can do a power dive of 200 miles per hour. As a colonel in the United States Air Force Reserve, Dr. Hoyle compares an elite man-made aircraft to the bald eagle. My favorite aircraft in the U.S. military has always been the F-15, which is known as the Eagle. And it's been around for 30 years, and only recently is it being replaced by the new F-22 Raptor fighter plane. Well, my point is, the F-15 has been the world's most successful fighter plane for 30 years. After 102 dogfights, it's never been shot down once. It has a perfect aerial combat record. Nobody, nobody would ever say the F-15 was designed by accident or built by accident. However, ounce for ounce, America's F-15 Eagle isn't even remotely as sophisticated or complex as a bald eagle. If somebody designed and made that F-15 Eagle, somebody obviously designed and made the bald eagle and the rest of the eagles that we see flying in the skies over Alaska. The splendor of Alaska with its majestic mountains, hearty plants, and fascinating animals is better enjoyed when we see God's hand of creation behind it all. However, as Cindy Carlson tells us, 
even within this immense beauty, the terrible consequences of sin still abound. We know that the perfect creation that God made, something has changed since then. And the Bible tells us that man fell, that he chose to go his own way. And when he did, sin entered into the world, sorrow, predation, and all the suffering we see in the world came in through man's sin. And so we look to the Creator for his solution to that and to be reunited with him. And the Bible says that God came himself in the person of Jesus Christ and that he paid the penalty on the cross for our sin. And if we will accept him, then he will cleanse us from our sin and we can be reunited with that wonderful creator that made heaven and earth. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.